VegCast. Sweet, it's VegCast 116. VegCast. And it's spring, if you know what I mean. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. I'm not even sure what it means myself, but I do know this is VegCast 116, and we are coming back at you. With another full menu of vegetarian podcastery, uh, this time out, we are going to be out, out on the street in Philadelphia, uh, talking with Marianne Bessie about taking activism to the streets, taking a vegan ideology to the streets. So we're going to be going beyond food choices today and talking about trying to help animals in a more direct way. Uh, Marianne Bessie is uh, famous for many things, including uh, her work to get the uh, elephants out of the Philadelphia Zoo, which they currently are now, and also her work uh, protesting circuses. That's just part of what she does. We will talk to her. We will also hear a new track from him for her. We've heard them on VegCast before. They have a new album out, and uh, we get one of the first tracks off of that. And we also have a science fact, of course. Uh, this one about a new culprit uh, to explain why meat is so bad for your heart. Uh, so that will be coming up as well. So uh, there's also going to be some other stuff. I invite you to sit back, relax, crank up your MP3 player as we deliver to you this 116th. VegCast is sponsored by Tofurky, making delicious, innovative, and affordable meat alternatives from non-GMO organic soy since 1980. And yes, it is something of a fool's errand to invoke the name Marianne Bessie and then uh, try to nail down the one thing that she's known for. She's known for many things. I should also mention uh, you've heard her name on VegCast at least a couple times, once on uh, VegCast 112, uh, where we talked about Kaylee the Cow, who is now up at Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary. Uh, Marianne was one of two women that basically uh, made that happen through their perseverance. Uh, but Marianne has done many other things. The Bessie Agreement, uh, which she will mention in this interview, is uh, another legacy of hers. And I decided it was time uh, to stop uh, kind of going at the edges and uh, having other people talk about things that had to do with Marianne Bessie and her work and actually have her on the show, and uh, the uh, the immediate impetus was the news out of England uh, about the phasing out and eventual elimination of wild animals in circuses there, which is a big win, and we're going to talk about uh, just how big a win that may be for animals in England and over here. And uh, in fact, let's go to that interview right now. Okay, right now we are sitting across from the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia and speaking with legendary uh, Philadelphia activist Marianne Bessie. Marianne, welcome to VegCast. Hello, Vance. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> it's good to have you here. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's April, and I was saying that in my perception it seemed like a lot of circuses come to town around springtime you straighten me out on that and we'll get into that but this month 
we got news from England about uh, some big news having to do with circuses. So that made me say, you know, it's time that we finally stopped uh, referencing Marianne in third-hand ways here and there on VegCast and get her on and have an actual interview about the work that she does. So I want to just start with this news uh, out of England. What is, can you tell us, first of all, is this a legit uh, thing? Because sometimes we hear, oh, they're going to phase something out, they're going to study, it's going to take 10 years, and then... You know, is this something that we should be uh, excited about, banning yes. wild animals and circuses? This is definitely news to celebrate with the U.K. Actually, the U.K., um, you know, England has been phasing out exotic animals and circuses for quite some time. They're just down to, I think, one elephant right now that's been traveling and so on. So it's been an, a, a long process. There's been a lot of, you know, protesting over the years, so on. I... I you know, England, I think, is the UK is further along than the US in in their journey for banning circuses. But they have made an official announcement, and the law is supposed to go into effect in 2015 that would ban all exotic animals in circuses in the UK. Okay. Well, you said they're further along in their journey than the US. Will, can you see uh, any specific? fallout here from from this act there other than just you know in in rhetorical debates being able to cite this can you see this actually having any effect of speeding up that journey over on this side of the pond I, I think there'll be some I think it will speed up but it won't be any you know light speed it won't be something really really quick the UK doesn't have a ringling that's one of the huge challenges with the United States. We have a huge corporation, Ringling Brothers, that fights tooth and nail any sort of legislation that gets attempted to be passed, even on a local level. I mean, we've been there, there's a federal law that was introduced a couple years ago in the United States, and I don't think there was anyone in the activism world that thought that was going to pass. It was really something that was to get the ball rolling, raise awareness, and not shockingly, it didn't pass. It was introduced two years ago, and it just you know, languished in committee or wherever. So um, we've got ringling. So we continue to really face consumer demand here, where in, in England, I don't think there was the huge demand that we have here okay. that we have to combat. So it definitely helps. It's something that I use as a tool when I'm educating people, and I have posters that say, you know, banned in Bolivia, banned in Singapore. Banned in the U.K. is going to carry a lot more weight with people, right. I think, than some of these, what people see as maybe almost third-world countries. This is a first-world country that's right, banning right. it. Well, so uh, in talking about uh, the work that you do, you go on uh, demonstrations at the site, you know, at or near the entrance uh, to circus sites. Uh, you talk to people, you have visual material and so forth. What is, is there any way of summarizing what you do, how that goes, or is it all just completely ad hoc, case by case, person by person? Well, I guess it's a combination. I mean, you do have to tailor your message to, to who you're speaking to, but there's, I think with, with what I do with the circus is there's actually two aspects to it. One is educational, and there are people who really don't know. They don't, or they've never stopped to think about it, and they believe what the circus 
puts in their press releases and what, you know, the fluff that they put on their website saying we treat our animals like family and so on. So we, my, you know, me and whoever else is with me, will talk to people and say, hey, you know, think about it. Like, we know for a fact that Ringling Brothers changed their elephants in the back of boxcars for up to 100 hours straight. That's something that came out in a federal trial. That's undisputed fact. Like, whatever else you think. Would you treat your family that way? Is that something that you think is okay? And many times people don't know that. Uh, we have videotape that shows the training methods that they've used. We have, you know, other other facts that we can we can give them, or just right. just get them to think about it. Something they've never thought thought about before. And every year, with every circus protest run that I've done, there's always someone who turns around and doesn't go back in even if they've already purchased a ticket. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's not the bigger thing. The bigger thing is we want for next year. Like maybe next year you'll think about it. Maybe next year you'll think, oh God, I have to look at those protesters again. I don't want to deal with that. Like even if it's not so much they care about the animals, it's like a little bit of a hassle. To, almost like crossing a picket line to have these protesters holding signs and you know, having to explain to your children why these protesters are out there and so right. on. So it's that's the first part is education. The second part is a little bit of an annoyance factor. All right. Well, that's um. You said something. I can't remember what it was, but it was about the education and the thing that people you know don't necessarily know. Um, and it it kind of brings up the whole this whole realm of uh, using animals in in a way that doesn't have anything to do with food. Um, well, well, tangentially there are ways, but uh, the, you know, elephants, tigers in circuses and zoos, it's all part of a, a kind of institution of forcing animals to entertain us for just absolutely frivolous purposes. And yet I was shocked when I, when I first went to Summerfest, and I will not name this person, but a longtime vegan there that I talked to was surprised at the notion that he shouldn't take his family to a zoo. Um, and this was 15 years ago. This person is now is now kind of come on board with the point that I was making that there, you know, it, it's the same kind of thing where we're, we're just forcing animals to do something that we have no right to make them do. But do you have, uh, you know, do you have people who are actually you would expect to get this that they don't? get it and do you have ways to, to kind of summarize what this issue is so that you know even people who are already animal lovers and or vegetarians or whatever do you have a way to, to get that across well zoos zoos are more challenging because they are much better at getting their educational slash conservation message across and ringling has taken a leaf from the zoo's notebook in that now they have a whole flyer that they give out at, at their shows that talks about their Center for Elephant Conservation in right, Florida, right. which is a breeding mill. Uh, it's like a puppy mill for elephants. It just yeah. breeds elephants to be put into the shows. But people fall for that, and people have certainly fallen for the zoo's rhetoric that right. they're doing conservation and education and so on. So what, what, again, it comes down to giving the facts out. And with zoos, that's where zoos are very effective at getting their messaging out and you and I both know that from situations sure. where there's been facts you know printed in the local newspapers that were just verbatim from the zoo yep. without checking on a you know a third party source and it was actually not true right. that happens all the time so 
part of the zoo, and I do zoo campaign, I do zoo outreach as well, is to educate people and say, look, the zoo says they're conservation, they say they're educational, what do they have to back that up? And there's been no independent surveys, no, you know, to show that it's educational. Any surveys that have been done have showed that they're actually counter-educational. They send the wrong message. They teach children that animals are here for their display, no matter what the cost to the animal, disrespect. I, I When I used to go to the zoo to monitor the elephants, I used to see kids throwing things at the animals to get them to react. Sure. I saw kids chasing after the peacocks, which are let loose to run, and like terrorizing them. I mean, things like that. I saw that much more often. I saw children there for one minute let's go look at the monkeys, let's go do this. They don't get any idea of an animal's natural behavior in a zoo. Right. Um, so it's the same concept of education and maybe not so much of the annoyance factor because people who go to zoos tend to really think they care about animals and they think they're doing something helpful. Right. Where people who go to circuses, they're, they're usually not that, they're just mainly there to be entertained. They right. just think, I want to go and you know see something. Yeah, I mean, I can see, there is kind of a, a divide that was made uh, very apparent here, which in Philadelphia we have a columnist who will be unnamed, but who wrote a very passionate uh, kind of defense of elephants in the circus, and then, you know, that has gotten around, and then a couple weeks ago comes back with a piece reference in, whose title references that but is basically a let's all go to the zoo and see the animals piece because the zoo now has this especially kid-friendly exhibit and so uh, that's fine and i think if it's the same colonists also went on elephant rides in thailand which is an extremely abusive practice so yeah right well so i guess what we're getting at is that it's you know it's easy to say look there's this dead animal that you're putting in your mouth or even there's this uh, something that came out of an animal that you're putting in your mouth or you're not putting in your mouth but when we get to this realm of using animals enslaving animals uh, you know doing these things that are that have no necessity to us absolutely no justification it's still it's more work to get people to kind of start to step out of the the way that they've been trained to think right is that oh it I'm is kind of it is words in your mouth, yes I guess. it's that's that's true yeah. yeah with circuses and with zoos and with with any form of exploitation of animals but uh now am i the philadelphia zoo currently am i correct does not have an elephant exhibit or they do they do not have an elephant exhibit they still have ownership of Callie and bat who are um, currently elsewhere? But they, but have they have not committed to closing, to stopping. They, you know, they may they say, oh, we could start this back up any time. Or do you think that? I mean, this is something I should point out to our listeners who don't know. You're basically, you've been the thorn in the side of the zoo on their elephant exhibits uh, for a long time and have actually achieved a lot of this uh, change. But where 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 has that gotten to at this point for Philadelphia? It's well, the current zoo director Vic Dewan really disappointed us in that he did not take a stand in support of you know an, the, respecting elephants' best interests. In that he agreed to send them away, 
and agreed that the current digs at the time were inadequate, which were a quarter acre exhibit and, you know, horribly inadequate for the world's largest land mammal that travels miles per day in the wild, and agreed to send them elsewhere, but still kept the door open to bring them back. And in any interview or in any public statement, and even, even privately, he said it to me, is, you know, I, I think we could do it, you know, build an exhibit that was adequate for these these elephants. I'd like to bring them back someday if we can raise the money. You know, whether or not that's just posturing, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's any definite plans to do so. And it would be very difficult to do so right now. It, it's a landlocked zoo. The, zoo's, the whole zoo is only 42 acres. Um, it, it, you could put the whole zoo over to elephants and it wouldn't even scratch the surface of the kind of space that they need. And then on top of that, you have the winters here where they spend weeks on end inside a barn, no matter what that, that you know, right. facility is like. So hope I, we're hoping that he, you know, doesn't start to make some definitive plans. We haven't heard of any definite plans. There hasn't been anything in the budget or anything like that that we've heard. So Okay. Well, even just getting it to this point, I think, uh, is something that you should be commended for. Um, and you also, I just wanted to touch on, as somebody that's out there, you know, taking veganism to the street, literally, you're out on the street on the sidewalk in uh, a free protest zone or whatever, <laughs> um, you've had to be also kind of on the front lines of dealing with uh, civil affairs officers and just regular police officers, some of whom are not as versed in the law as you are. Can you just share some, some of what that's been like? Well, sure. I mean, Philadelphia actually now is, is in pretty good shape. And one of the reasons is I was arrested several years ago while standing on a public sidewalk protesting a circus and ended up, you know, fighting it and being found not guilty. And then the ACLU taking on a civil case and bringing it against the city and we settled out of court for training for the officers which is all I wanted I didn't really you know expect to make any money on it so we we have training in place now for all of the civil affairs officers and that is the unit that usually is in charge of protest so they've been trained and it's been a lot better now if you go anywhere else usually I'm, I'm starting from scratch again where I have to usually I set it up where I call the local police, I try to get, you know, our ground rules set, and then when I show up, um, so I don't have to waste time arguing back and forth with the police about where I can stand. I try to do that ahead of time. But it's astounding to me how I, how much I still encounter problems. And that's someone who, as a lawyer and someone who can, ed, you know, educate myself on the law and know what the law is, and I still have all these problems. I have great sympathy for people who don't have that confidence level. Like, I know what the law is, right. and I know I know when the police are wrong. There are people who don't have that confidence, so they just listen to what the police say, and the police say, well, you have to stand over here because there's a law that says you have to stand 20 feet from the entrance of a building. People don't know, and so they just do it. Right. And that happens so often, it's sickening. Well, so uh, we're about out of our time here, but... Uh, I do want to, I mean, you will often see that you're at this demo, you're at that demo, you're going, you want people to show up. This VegCast obviously goes out around the world, but it also is heard in the Delaware Valley. And if someone is hearing this now and saying, uh, boy, I didn't realize, you know, somebody was out there doing this, 
constantly and that there was an opportunity what where would what's their first step where should they go to either help out or or try to do this themselves well thank you Vance for bringing that up because we always need more bodies out there there's there's strength in numbers and we have a much stronger presence when we have more people out there and no signing petitions doing things like that isn't enough you have to come out and the for the Philly area I have a website called philly4animals.com it's just p-h-i-l-l-y the number four animals.com and that will give you a link to our meetup site and the name of my group that I loosely organize to do demonstrations and so on is called Animal Activists of Philly. And there's a meetup that's for that. But, I mean, you can find it if you go to phillyforanimals.com. Okay. Well, we'll have people go there. We'll put that in our show notes uh, if anybody is interested in that. And, uh, all right, I guess uh, I'm just going to say, is there anything that I should have asked you about that I didn't? Well, no, not really. You've covered oh, a lot. Come on. Give, well, give us... <laughs> no, you gave me the good you're always, um, you're always, uh, You have these uh, great insights, so just if you have something else or uh, anything to sum up or anything else to plug or I whatever. I have one thing to say, yes. and that is everybody, including myself, has to stretch beyond their comfort level. And if you feel concerned about showing up for a demonstration, you feel a little nervous, you're not sure... I feel like that all the time when I go to a new place because I don't know what I'm going to encounter. I don't know what the police are going to be like. I don't know the patrons. So, But the animals are counting on us to stretch beyond our comfort level. So we just really need to challenge ourselves to do that. Great. All right. Well, Marianne, Bessie, you're certainly uh, inspiring all of us to stretch beyond our comfort level. And uh, I wanted to thank you for that. And, of course, thank you for being on VegCast. Yeah, thank you, Vance.
That is Glistening Cowgirl from Him For Her, a veggie-stocked band that uh, we've played here before. Their new album is Lucian Wayne's Smokin' Flames, and they are currently out on tour. You may have a chance to catch Lucian Wayne themselves live. You can check their website, himforher.com, for details about that, as well as the album and other songs that uh, you might want to have a listen to. That is H-Y-M-N-F-O-R-H-E-R.com. And, of course, we will have that link in our show notes so you don't have to look it up right away. We'll have that there so you can visit it at your leisure. But in the meantime, we are going to turn our attention to the science. Our science fact for VegCast 116. New study links L-carnitine in red meat to heart disease. This is a write-up from Harvard Health Publications and Harvard Medical School. Uh, coming straight from the proverbial horse's mouth, this uh, starts, Is red meat bad for your heart? A new study suggests it is, but not for the reasons you might expect. And uh, they explain that the saturated fat and cholesterol in red meat uh, have often been cited as key culprits. But according to this work published online in the journal Nature Medicine, eating red meat delivers L-carnitine to bacteria that live in the human gut that uh, digest it and turn it into a compound that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But uh, to continue further down, Dr. Dariush Mozavarian, uh, who is a cardiologist and epidemiologist at Harvard-affiliated Brigham and Women's Hospital, uh, he says if you look at the people who eat unprocessed red meat, there is a relatively weak association with heart disease. It's not protective, and healthier dietary choices exist, but major harms are also not seen. In the bigger picture, we do have pretty damning evidence about the harms of eating a particular type of meat. Dr. Mosafarian continues, processed red meats, bacon, sausage, salami, deli meats, are associated with much higher risk of heart disease. So, you know, you really don't have to worry so much since it's only those rarely consumed meats that are on everybody's uh, lunch tray and breakfast plate. Uh, Soon after this came out, another study uh, tied L-carnitine to eggs. Uh, And, you know, in all of these uh, write-ups, they're constantly making these cautions and saying, well, this is a preliminary study. We got to uh, balance it against this. Uh, But he actually goes so far as to say this uh, is damning enough for L-carnitine that uh, he would definitely think three times before taking an L-carnitine supplement. And uh, then they do add at the end of this uh, write-up, which I don't usually see in this kind of coverage of uh, the deleterious effects of meat consumption, uh, the article concludes, of course, there are reasons to avoid eating red meat that aren't directly related to individual health. Cattle farming has devastating environmental effects, including production of greenhouse gases, water pollution, and deforestation. Health effects in humans aside, red meat consumption is clearly bad for the health of our planet, says Mozaparian. 
And that's the latest theory, I guess, on why it is that eating meat is bad for you in so many different ways and bad for so many other things, including the planet and the animals. And although we don't always get those scientific studies right from the horse's mouth, we do always try to bring you the latest right here on the Science Fact. All right, we are about to close out VegCast 116, but since this is uh, kind of turning into a Philly-oriented show with our Philadelphia-based activist Marianne Bessie and Philadelphia-based band Him For Her, I should mention just a couple of quick things that people in the Philadelphia area may want to know about. Uh, the vegan comedian, comedy legend, in fact, David Steinberg, who is on VegCast 105, will be coming to town, or at least coming to the Burbs, next uh, weekend. That is May 10th and 11th, he'll be in New Hope at the Bucks County Playhouse. We'll have info on that in the show notes. And just as we were wrapping this up, got a music submission uh, that we're going to hope to get to on the next VegCast. But in the meantime, uh, this band every other day will be uh, playing the Trocadero Theater. Uh, and they do have a vegan lead vocalist, so they qualify. Uh, I will have a link to that as well in our show notes. You can check out every other day before hearing them on VegCast, and you can compare and contrast. Uh, and you'll be able to do all of that once this episode is over. So let's get out of here. That is VegCast 116. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Tofurky, making delicious, innovative, and affordable meat alternatives from non-GMO organic soy since 1980. And I would like to also thank Marianne Bessie for sitting there on a park bench with me and talking about uh, Philadelphia animal activism. Thanks to him for her for giving us permission to play Glistening Cowgirl. And thank you VegCast listener for downloading and subscribing. We'll be back in the month of May, and until then, get out there and live like you mean it. VegCast.